Well, good morning. I'm Debbie Manning, and I've been part of the Congregational Care staff for about 12 years. But I'm also a seminary student. So last spring, before John left on a sabbatical, he called me up on, on the phone at home and asked me if I would like to preach this summer. Well, the, one of the first lessons that you learn in seminary is to know your audience. And I know John pretty well after working with him for a dozen years. He's kind of a calm and cool guy. So I very calmly and very coolly said, Why, thank you, John. I would love to preach this summer. It would be an honor. Well, originally, the sermon series was supposed to be on the fruits of the Spirit. So John went on to say, And Debbie, you'll be preaching on kindness. And my response was, Kindness? Oh, John! I love kindness. I can do kindness. Well, it's not that I am so kind. I just know a lot of really kind people. Well, in that moment, I knew I had lost my calm and cool. And I also suspected that in that moment, John Crosby might have been thinking, what did I just do? But I am here with you today to preach, and I am really excited to be here. Um, It's not only fun to use some of the things I learned in all the preaching classes I've been taking, but it's fun to do this as part of this community that I've been a part of for almost 20 years. So a big part of my job on the congregational care team is I run the lay care ministry. The lay care ministry is a group of folks, just like you guys, who go through training to go out and comfort others in this community that are going through pain and suffering. And under this big umbrella of lay care, we have all these areas of ministry that you can be a part of. The prayer and healing team, one-on-one ministry, hospital visitation, senior visitation, helping hands, grief recovery, funeral and memorial committee, care groups, wonderful places that you can plug in to minister. These lay care ministers, they go through 10 intensive weeks of training. And the key to being a great lay care minister is being able to show up and be a loving, listening presence. That's it. It really is that simple. It's not necessary to have a multitude of scripture memorized or to have all the right answers to those really tough why questions, because you won't. And you don't even need to have tons of experience praying out loud. You have to have a heart for God and a heart for others. That's it. You show up to be a listening, loving presence. We spend two full sessions on listening. There's no sessions on how to give good advice or memorizing all the answers to those tough why questions. Our motto is simply this. We do the caring. God does the curing. And no matter what area of ministry that someone chooses to go into, they all have the same thing in common. Their job is to show up and to comfort those that are experiencing pain and suffering. We all know that suffering is part of the world that we live in. It's been part of your life and my life, and we've seen it in broken relationships, illness, disease, dying, loss of dreams. But I'll tell you this, the more ministry experience that I have, the more I realize that there are no easy answers. 
I know that when I walk in to the hospital room of a two-year-old that was just diagnosed with cancer and her shell-shocked, weeping parents look at me and say, Why? Why would God allow this to happen? I know that I don't go down the path of trying to answer that question because the truth is I don't have the answer. Or the mom who walks into my office after 20 years of marriage and four children and her husband had walked in one night and looked her in the eyes and said, I'm not happy. And he turned, out, turned around and walked out and never came back. And you can bet she was crying out to God, why? Why me? Why my family? Or what do I say as a Minneapolis police chaplain when a couple weeks ago I sat with a mom and a dad and a brother and a sister out at Worth Lake as the divers looked for the body of their 18-year-old son and brother. I had no words of wisdom, no advice that could take their pain away. But what I can do, what we can do, is we can show up and be a loving, listening presence. We look at the nature of God And he is the God of comfort, of compassion, of mercy. And created in his image, that alone shows us we are called to the compassionate life. And then we can look throughout scripture, and we are called to comfort others. We are called to compassion. We see it throughout scripture. Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you to act justly and love mercy? Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Colossians 3.12, clothe yourselves with compassion. We are designed to be in relationship with one another. And when life gets tough, we are to step in and comfort one another. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-4, through 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our times of trouble so that we can in turn go out and comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received. So to me, that's a gimme. It's pretty clear. We are called to comfort one another. But what I really wanted to talk about today is what it looks like, what it looks like to be a godly comforter. And I think that in the book of Job, through his friends, we have a great manual for the do's and the don'ts of comforting. So here's the rundown on the story of Job. He's a guy who has it all. Family, wealth, prestige. He is a faithful, faithful man of God. He did all the right things. But Job loses it all. And he suffers greatly. And he wrestles with the apparent injustice of this. And his friends come to comfort him. And here's where we pick up the story. Listen to Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and to comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep out loud. 
And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their head. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Okay, so far so good. These guys get it. They saw that their friend was suffering and they sat by him in silence for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him. In, ancient, in those ancient times, that was part of their traditional ritual of mourning. And I think that there's a deep value in that silence. These friends, these comforters, they didn't talk. They had no need to talk. What would they possibly, could they possibly say? How are you doing? Sounds incredibly inadequate when the guy just lost his children, his land, his livestock. And don't forget, he was covered with painful, painful sores. What they did in those first seven days and seven nights was simply show up and be a compassionate presence with Job. I imagine in those long days and nights of insufferable pain and fear that Job knew. He knew that his friends were there and he sensed their compassion. And he knew he wasn't alone. Unfortunately, at this point in the story, the do's of comforting quickly turn to the don'ts of comforting. Out of the depth of his suffering, Job cries out in anguish, cursing his birth, claiming that life has lost its meaning, that God had forsaken him. Now these three friends, considered to be wise and well-versed in the teachings of Moses, David, Solomon, and the prophets, they knew the rules. They knew that there had to be a reason for Job's pain and suffering. There had to be an answer to the question, why? And for the next 30 chapters, these friends, they just nail the guy, trying to convince him that he was to blame for his suffering. In chapter 4, the first friend starts out by saying, Job, will you be annoyed if I give you a little advice? Happy is the person that God corrects. Do not resent when God corrects your sins. Personally, I'm thinking that it might have felt a little more irritating than comforting. And I might even wonder if Job might be thinking, hey, easy for you to say from where you sit, your life, your health is intact. I'm the one who's lost everything. I'm the one who's suffering an incredible pain. And then in chapter 8, friend number 2 goes on to say, are you finally done with your windy speech? And God never fails to do what's right, and that your children must have sinned against God, and God punished them with the sin, with, with the punishment that they deserved. All ten of them? I'm starting to understand why Job is getting angrier and angrier. And in chapter 11, friend 3 advises Job to put his heart right. Reach out to God and repent of your evil ways. These guys with a spirit of arrogance and condescension tried to shame Job into getting over it, into denying his pain. And all three of these comforters claim to know God's reason 
for Job's suffering. They were assuming the voice of God. These guys who started out on this mission of comforting a friend in a time of of pain and suffering ended up condemning him by taking on the role of God and assuming that they knew the answers to the questions of suffering. Instead of comforting Job, they just heaped more pain on him. But what can you and I learn in regards to comforting from this story? And I think there are actually several takeaways for us. Let's start with the don'ts. First of all, don't talk a lot. Say as little as possible. As comforters, we're not there to give advice or our wonderful words of wisdom. Plus, I think we risk saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Have you ever had a moment when you were tempting to give comfort to someone and you put your foot in your mouth? I know I have. I have a friend who was delivering a meal to someone who had just undergone chemotherapy for breast cancer. And in an attempt to give some words of comfort, as she was leaving, she said, Rest in peace. Well, you can imagine how mortified she was. And she did literally turn and run out of that place. Wrong words at the wrong time. Secondly, don't assume you know how people feel. You have not experienced their particular pain and suffering. And along those lines, don't tell people how they should feel. It's not your role. And lastly, and I think this is important for us, don't assume that you know God's plan behind the pain and suffering. We aren't God, and we don't know that. And I think, sadly, sometimes in an attempt to give comfort, we end up hurting people with words like, they're in a better place. God's trying to teach you something. These are simply the wrong words at the wrong time. And we see the same spirit in Job's friends. And there is simply no place in the compassionate life that we're to live. But what do we do as comforters? That's the easy part. It's very simple. We're to show up and to be a loving, listening presence. Job's friends demonstrated that beautifully in those first seven days and seven nights. Be be quick to listen and slow to speak. And I think in our culture, that's hurried, and we need to get it done, and we need to get over it, and we need to problem solve, that that's a challenge. I think that's hard for us to do, but we need to slow down and listen. We cannot take people's pain away with our insights and our advice. Show compassion through your presence, through prayer, and through an understanding spirit. These are the things that make people feel not only comforted by us, but by God. And in our own darkest moments, when people show up and they're a loving, listening presence, we have hope. I have a movie clip that I think is a great example of what it means to show up and just be a loving, listening presence. The movie is from Steel Magnolias, 
And it really is about a group of women who do life together. They share the joys and sorrows of life. In this particular clip, it's at a gravesite, and one of the women, one of the moms, has lost her, her daughter. And as they gather around the gravesite, one by one, each of these friends comes and stands with her. She stands, they stand there in her pain. Take a look. friend. (laughs) It's really pretty simple. It's a simple concept to be comforters. We show up and be a loving, listening presence, just like Job's friends did initially. And admittedly, it's hard to put into practice. In our humanness, we have this need to have the answers, this need to take away the pain. But the truth is, we don't have the answers, and we can't take away the pain. Only God has the answers, and God can do the healing. And when we truly understand that, it frees us up to step into all circumstances, amazing circumstances, some that we could never imagine. We step in, and we trust that it isn't about us, but it's about a loving God, a God full of compassion and mercy. As people of God... We have to step up and step in to the pain with others, even when we have nothing to say. I have a great job because I get to see you guys. I get to see this community all the time, every day, step out of their own lives and into the pain of other people's lives. I see it when a couple of parents start a support group for other parents who have children that are struggling with emotional and mental health issues, grace and hope for our children. And they gather together, and they share life's journey, and the tough times and the hard times, and they sit in the pain together, and they listen, and they love each other, and they know that they're not alone. I see it when there's a death in this church, and whether it's an infant or a child, 
or a mother or a husband. This community surrounds people and loves them and holds them up as they walk through some of the most incredible grief and loss. And whether it's through the moms and moms mourning or our wonderful children's ministry and child care staff or our grief recovery team, it is, it is an amazing thing to watch people step out and be a loving, listening presence to others. I see it when the broken and the hurting step into that prayer room at the back. And our prayer warriors, they go in there and they surround them and they love them and they comfort them and they lift them up to God in prayer. And I see it when hundreds, and I literally mean hundreds of you guys over the years, have prepared and delivered meals to those that are hurting, that are sick, that are dying. That's what it means to be a comforter. That's what it means to show up and love others. But one thing I want to make sure you guys know is this isn't about the lay care ministry. This isn't about this church community. This call to the compassionate life is something that we are called to do in every aspect of our life. We are to do this in our families, in our neighborhoods, on the sidelines of soccer games, on the ho- at the hockey rink, in our workplace, in our bigger world. Life is hard, and we all suffer in one way or not another. And as we step in as comforters, it's not about the words. It's about God's compassion for his children as seen in our presence when we show up. We show up. We love, we listen. And I am convinced that a huge part of following Jesus Christ is choosing to live the compassionate life. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you that you are the God of compassion and mercy that comforts us in our times of trouble so that we can go out and comfort others. And God, I just pray that you can move hearts today and that in all aspects of our lives, we'll step out and step into the pain of others and love them and comfort them in your name. Amen.